Demystifying Health Myths. This is an in-depth interview with JJ Virgin. Join us in this enlightening conversation with celebrity nutrition and fitness expert JJ Virgin as we dive deep into some of the most common health questions that confuse people. Questions about snacking and whether you can eat unlimited fruit, different diets, low fat, high fat, low carb, vegan paleo, and what's best for you. Unravel the mystery of weight loss resistance and the impact of poor sleep, touching on how stress affects your health and ways to manage it. And what's the best type of exercise for you? JJ also shares tips and tricks for healthy eating on a budget, along with a comprehensive guide on staying healthy while traveling. Don't miss this chance to gain insights from JJ Virgin and equip yourself with the knowledge to make healthier choices in your life. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Let me tell you a little bit more about the guests that we have today. JJ Virgin is a triple board certified nutrition expert, fitness hall of famer, and media personality. She has founded two multi-million dollar businesses and the Mindshare Collaborative, a prominent health professional community. JJ has made numerous TV appearances and authored four New York Times bestsellers. She's also a popular speaker, podcast host, three times Incorporation 5000 founder, and a top 10 finalist for the John C. Maxwell Award, impacting millions worldwide through her transformative leadership. I am pleased to help welcome to the stage Miss JJ Virgin. Hi, JJ. Hi there. Pleasure to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show. I'm so excited to have you here with all of your expertise and wisdom and knowledge. So let's start by sharing with the audience and telling them a little bit more about you. All right. Well, I'm an obsessed uh, health fanatic, which 
when I first became an obsessed health fanatic that we were called health nuts or health freaks as if it was a bad thing. <laughs> and I was always like, how is this a bad thing? And I feel like um, it's finally turning around. I started focusing on, on nutrition literally and exercise literally when I was 12 years old because I wanted to be a musical theater actress. And I recognized that like my body was my instrument and went off to school at UCLA on a full ride theater scholarship and realized that I really didn't want to do that. And so I started studying exercise physiology and nutrition. And I'm happy to say that nowadays I feel like exercise is taking the spotlight as it should, because as you really start to look at healthy aging and longevity, the single most important thing for that is exercise. And then, of course, it's the one to punch the exponential effect when you put in nutrition. So I'm more interested, excited, obsessed with all of it today than I even was back then or over the course of the 40 years I've been at it. Well, JJ, when I look at you, you remind me so much, and I hope this is a compliment to you because I view it as such, but you remind me of a Linda Hamilton, you know, the, the Terminator series where she is just improving herself utmost all the time physically in order to address the monsters that are in front of her, right? And so- Who doesn't want to look like Linda Hamilton in Terminator? And you right. know what's so funny, April? I literally, we had a- um, trying to remember which costume party. We do costume parties at our Mindshare Somebody Chair. And one of the costume parties, I was I was Linda Hamilton. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. I would fitting. like channel that every day if I could. I think that she was such a great, not only did she look amazing in that role, but mm. what a great role model for women to show that really strong is the new sexy, that it's like, we got to stop the whole, like, get skinny, get small, and just start to step into our power in okay. every way. Yeah. Well, it certainly boosts the confidence period, right? When we feel good, we look good, we feel strong. It, 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 just in turn, you have so much more confidence and you're able to shine your light in the best way. And so I love that you really were interested in the theater aspects and showing up on stage because you have truly integrated that with all of the things that you're creating. You've married the health and fitness as well as being able to showcase yourself in that capacity and in that light. And you've created an event for entrepreneurs in the health arena, which I find fascinating. And I can't wait to attend one of them. You've been going strong with those for a number of years now. Over and a decade. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's really continuing to grow and blossom. JJ, as we speak about that, I'm curious, what are some of the top speakers that you have? Because you really are bringing this beautiful energy and light and knowledge to people who are in this health arena. So we do a very different event. Um, it isn't a clinical consumer facing event. It is all of the health practitioners, health professionals, health business owners coming together to collaborate, to share what's working. We've literally created more docu-series, more summits, more podcasts, podcast hosts, more New York Times bestsellers um, through this group of people coming together and sharing what's working. So it's very different. It's not like you're going to a an event and you're hearing all these health speakers speak about health. That's not what it is. We're actually a bunch of people speaking about how you can get your message out into the world, how mm. you can make that bigger impact. So like this year, 
we had Dr. Srini Pillay, who's a uh, Harvard neuroscientist, talk about you know the, the brain chemistry of, of being able to push out of your comfort zone and be able to really get out on stage and speak. We had Lisa Nichols come and teach speaking. I brought in, uh, I gave the pinnacle award to Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who created functional medicine and has this amazing career, continues to uh, innovate and had him really share his journey and the way that he thinks and how he does that. And so it's really much more of all everyone coming together and collaborating. And it's really fun because in our health industry, when you think about it, you go to one doctor for an opinion, then you go to their competitor for a second opinion to see which one you like better. It's a very competitive marketplace. It's not a collaborative mm -hmm. marketplace. And whether you're in health or any other type of business, it's a lonely place to be. And so, you know, we come together, we get great education, we have great collaboration, and then we have a lot of fun too. Like this year, we had a um, circus theme party because the whole theme was there's no business like your show, like your business. Um, and so we did a circus theme party that was just off the <laughs> off the hook. It was super fun. I love that you bring that. You know, you do make it fun. And I love that it's people who are sharing what is working to get that powerful message out. You're 100% where that's half the battle, right? We have all these brilliance in the world, innovative ideas, things that need to be shared. And you have to understand how to brand, how to market what does work and what doesn't work in order to share that message. So I wanted to shed some light on that. So I appreciate it. And let's talk a little bit more about your journey and how you even got involved in that. I know that you've been passionate since a very, very young age, but how has that evolved into your world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. So I think what's fun, um, I'm a classic entrepreneur. I literally have had one real job as an adult and I got fired in three months because <laughs> I had too many ideas. And so I think what's really fun is that when I first started, there literally weren't health clubs. Like the mm. first health club started, first we had aerobic studios, then we started to have health clubs. So none of that stuff was like, I was at the forefront of all of that. I was so fortunate. Like it was one of the first personal trainers in the country. And I think what's interesting is that I just figured out, and a lot of it, it was sort of like stumbling through it. It wasn't like I was some genius who went, this is what I'll do. It just, it was like, you take the next step and the, you know, the bridge shows up like Indiana Jones, that I was just fortunate 
to be at the right place at the right time in so many different ways and take action to be able to have a career where I absolutely love what I do. Like I love it. I have two different companies, one where I have my consumer brand and then the other one where we have all of the healthcare practitioners building their brands. And collectively, I think we've helped now 400 million people um, you know, transform their health. I mean, that's my mission is a billion. And that's not something you do alone. That's why we created Mindshare Collaborative was to get that message out into the world and to really mm. change things. Because, you know, I mean, everyone talks about this pandemic of the last couple of years as being the horrific thing, but that's not the pandemic that we have. I mean, in the United mm. States, we have a epidemic of, you know, metabolic health crises, and it's not going to get changed <laughs> through big pharma and, you know, traditional medicine, in my humble opinion. I agree with you. And I think that many of the deaths, unfortunate deaths that were experienced were due to underlining health conditions that arose during this. And also that the things where we're not taking care of our bodies. And because of that, we're not going to do well when something like that comes along. So the epidemic of this, this health and the way that we're caring for ourselves and the way that we are, are consuming foods and products, putting in on and around our bodies, that's definitely the topic which I would love to bring in your expertise because you have created an entire life's work revolving around this. And so that being said, Let's dive into a little bit of how do we manage and how do we bring the best practices into our life in order to be armored with, you know, uh, armored during certain things that come our way. So we're protected and we're ready. So it was really interesting. It was probably eight years ago we sent out a survey, an open-ended question to our community. And it was this, if you're not where you want to be in your health and in your weight, why not? Now, I fully expected this to be, I can't quit sugar. I can't give up gluten. You know, one of these things. I was blown away by what I heard, what I read. And people wrote like literally pages the bottom line was the overwhelming theme answer was I don't feel worthy. Mm. And so, so when you really look at all of this to start with, you have to start from this place of you matter, right? Mm. That has to be the underlying first part, because I think a lot of where we come from is self-loathing, um, you know, and I don't matter. And that will never get you to start to make these permanent changes that have to happen in order for you to, to, you know, live healthy. So that's the step that is the most single mission critical step is to, is to start with, I'm here for a reason I matter. And so I know that in order to do the things I'm, I need to do here on this planet, I have to prioritize my health because if you don't have your health, you can't do anything else that will yeah. take up all your, all, all of your space. Right. So yeah. that's the step one that you probably weren't expecting to hear. No, I think it's, um, I agree with you. I think, and it, I, I agree with you too, that it would be surprising to get that sort of feedback, 
that maybe people are that in tuned with the truth of that. And, you know, that it has to start there on that mental understanding of I do matter, the belief systems that we have in place for ourselves in order to even move forward. I think that we can become very stagnant when we don't feel like we matter when we, we, I mean, what's the point? Right. Right. So you, you have to go to that understanding and that love and that acceptance before you can move forward. Right. And then the next step is to really start to let yourself dream, have hope. You know, it feels like quite mm -hmm. often when we're little kids and one of the parties that I did at Mindshare was what do you want to be when you grow up? And this was the hardest party theme for people to like initially do. Because at first they're like, well, I am what I want to be. I want to be a doctor. I go, I am talking about when you were five years old yeah. and you probably wanted to be an astronaut or a fireman or a ballerina, you know, or a butterfly, whatever. Like, let's go back there. Remember the time when everything was possible and you would let yourself dream. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, as you, as you start to age, you just start to close doors of possibility, thinking that you can't do those for whatever reason. A teacher told you, like, you know, why did I go become an English major at UCLA? A teacher told me I couldn't write and made fun of me in class at UCLA. And I would love to find the teacher now and go, I bet you don't have four New York Times bestsellers, dude. But, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, think about these things that you're so often told all throughout your life that you just start to shut doors for yourself. And so the first real part is to go, okay, you know, what would I really, it's, it's the words of Mary Morrissey, one of my great friends who um, wrote the book, Brave Thinking. I can't recommend this enough, but what would you love? Because I think we just stop thinking about what would I really love? What do I want my life to look like? What impact do I want to make? Who do I want to spend it with? That's tr true success to me is not like, you know, $10 million in the bank. True success is living your life on your terms, the people you want to be around, the impact you want to make, spending the day the way you want to spend the day. And so what does that look like? Then you paint that picture because, and you put yourself in that picture. And how do you have to show up? Who do you have to become to do that? Because I'm pretty sure that that person living that dream life that you want is not you know, 40, 50 pounds overweight is not having high blood pressure is not like, that's probably not the, the vision. So you have yeah. to see yourself there first. Dr. Joe Dispenza says it says, you know, you have to break the habit of being yourself, right? Yeah. That you'll yeah. see it when you believe it. So that's the really where everything has to start from, because then you just are going to live into that. And you're going to make it the, that that future self happen, but it has to start first with everything created created twice, right? First, you have to see it in your mind, and you have to really believe that you can do it. Yeah, I think that that is a very strong place to start. Is in childhood that five year old childhood self, where you are still in that dream state of of a position of being human, right? We <laughs> we are in that dreaming era. And 
what I love about that too, is we have to go there in order to open up to the possibilities to continue dreaming. And so much of us in adulthood, we are so stuck in that rut of doing the same things continuously day in and day out. Words of Dr. Joe Dispenza, since we've talked about him, love his work. And it's so interesting that you bring him up because it's, he's come up a number of times throughout a lot of my conversations, not because I brought him up, but he is definitely one of my, my favorite people who explains things in such a beautiful fashion, whereas I am not able to. So of course, I encourage everybody to investigate his work. But starting from that childhood and being able to dream, it invites us to come into the world in a more curious fashion. And I think when we meet things with excitement and curiosity, it allows us to show up in such a great way. And we want to. So when we're in that place, we want to, you know, take care of our bodies and show up in the best way. And I think it just naturally starts to come in. So I love that you brought that up where the dreaming is really an essential piece to this feeling that we're worthy and being able to dream. I like that you start there. You didn't start out with, well, you need to do this and you need to do this with your diet and your body because it's all interconnected. Right. And you will get there. So, you know, that's the first painting of the picture. All right. Then I always say, if you know, you want to fly to New York and you sit down at your computer to book a flight, well, you're going to need to know where you are right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can't book, book a flight from New York if you don't know which city you're starting from. And so the same goes with your health is once you've really let yourself go, this is where I want to be unedited. <laughs> now, where am I now? Take stock, get real, because we're going to create that plan to get you where you want to be with knowing mm -hmm. everything is possible. And so what does that look like? Well, for me, what I like people to do is number one, go get a DEXA body scan so that we really know what's going on in your body. Because if in my perfect world, I would never let scales ever be again, I would only use a body composition scale so that we can see what your weight's made up of. So we can understand what's going on with your skeletal muscle. Are you able to maintain or increase that? We could, we could basically wipe out our metabolic health problems if we stopped focusing on losing weight and we started focusing on people putting on quality muscle, which would in turn help them become more insulin sensitive, improve their metabolism, make them feel stronger. They'd want to move more, which then would burn more calories, which also would burn more fat. You know, I mean, it's like you look at it and go, all, all gets solved, but we're looking in the wrong direction and we're using a metric that doesn't give us the full picture, the information. So I always like mm -hmm. to know the starting point, but then I want to focus on quick wins that people will start to notice a difference because for so many of us, especially if we've been looking in the wrong direction, say stepping on a scale and we think we've been so good and we get on there and nothing changed according to the scale didn't right. mean that nothing changed you have no idea what happened inside your body in terms of fat loss muscle right. gain re reduction of inflammation it's just things are shifting you just can't see it but if we can start to give you simple little things that you do one by one, that you start to notice that you feel better, you're not as hungry, your energy's better, your cravings are going away, you're feeling stronger, you're more energetic, one by one, they become a way that you live. Because if you're doing something and it's actually working and you feel better and you're not hungry and you have cravings, you're like, wouldn't you want to do more than that, of, of yeah. that? I would hope so. So that's what I like to do then is just build on 
one thing at a time and not try to do a ton of stuff at once because whenever, you know, back in the old days, and again, I've been at this for decades, I would start people with all this stuff and nothing would happen. They would just get overwhelmed. And so it, like, if you look at any of the programs that I've put together since they are focused on one thing, do that thing, get yeah. great at that thing, figure out what you're supposed to figure out from that thing. Because if it's some a, a way of eating diets or tools, just because something's perfect for your friend doesn't mean it's perfect for you at this point in your life with your goals and your <laughs> genetics and your lifestyle and your health history. Right. So we go one by one, incorporate something, learn from it, bring what works into your lifestyle, go to the next thing. And you realize health is like peeling an onion and you just, it, yeah. it, it's like the endless onion though. You're never going to be done with it. Right. Cause it's not static. Right. I love what you're saying. It reminds me, I had an interview with Eric Edmeads, who is. I know book. Eric. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so he talked about how it's more important to consume the right foods than concentrate on not having this or not having that or the amounts or what have you. And so that makes me think of how you're addressing this, this physical aspect too, because it's not necessarily about what you need to concentrate on weight loss, like get that out of your mind, but concentrate more on the things that are going to improve that the, the bone structure and all of that. When you come to those metrics and have a better understanding of you can read these measurements because there is micro improvements when you concentrate on the one thing. Right. And so for me, in most cases, the thing that will make the biggest shift first is changing what's at the end of your fork. Mm. So that's generally where I start is, you know, what's going to make the biggest shift long term is how you move. And of course, you know, sleep is mission critical too. But initially, if all you did was figure out how much protein is right for you, I actually created a protein calculator so you can figure out how much you need each day based on your, your sex and your age and what your goals are and activity and all that. So you figure out how much protein you need each day. You make sure that you incorporate that in within your two to four meals a day, depending on how much protein you need, how it gets divided. And if that's your very first step, that you start tracking what you eat with that focus on making sure you get the right amount of protein in, just that step alone is so powerful for people. All of a sudden they're like, wow, because protein is, you know, we have three macronutrients. We have protein, which, which is for building your body. We have fat and carbohydrates for energy. You can use protein for energy, but it's really not what your body likes to do. So think of protein for building fat or carbohydrates for energy. If, and in terms of macronutrients, fat is anywhere from about zero to 3% of fat is uh, the calories are expended in the digestion and assimilation of fat, five to 10% of carbohydrates. For protein, 20 to 30% of the protein you eat is actually used up. Those calories are used up in the metabolic process to digest and assimilate that protein. So it's very thermic, way more than, than carbohydrates and fat. 
It's, it's more satiating. It helps balance your blood sugar. It helps get rid of cravings because when your body has enough protein, there's a, a phenomenon called the protein leverage hypothesis. It says in the absence of not enough protein, we will continue to overeat carbs and fat to try to get enough of those essential amino acids that we need. So now you've stopped that process. So all of a sudden you are losing some fat and feeling more satiated and more energetic just with a switch, a little swap of adding more protein. I don't even tell people at first to take out anything else because I know that if you eat protein first, you will naturally make better choices. The studies show it and you will tend to eat less overall and you'll have a better thermic effect as well. So all of that can result in some immediate better feelings and weight loss with, with a very small shift. Yeah. That's amazing. And I love that you described that and that you've created this, this measurement aspect of it. So people really have a better understanding. Now, when we talk about proteins and diets, there are so many fads out there, right? And so there's the, the keto diet, which has been very popular. What is your take and understanding on that? And how does it relate to the way that you address protein intake? So I guess what I'd say first is I don't believe these to be fats. I believe these to be tools. The reality is the keto diet's like hundreds of years old. I think it actually dates back like over a thousand years because it was used to control seizures. Mm -hmm. So it's a longstanding technique. And if you have seizures, a brain injury, this can be highly therapeutic for controlling that. So the big deal with all of these, if I was going to look at any diet and go, this is problematic, it's vegan. Because while you can live without carbohydrates, you can't live without essential amino acids and you can't live with B12 without B12. So that is a diet where you will become nutrient deficient and will die because of it. So there, you cannot live in the wild as a vegan, right? Without supplementation. So mm. I still would look at these though, keto, vegan, paleo, AIP, carnivore, any of these diets. And I look at them more as tools, fasting, intermittent fasting, et cetera. And so then you want to look at what, what is the promise or transformation of this diet with, let's say a keto diet, one of the promises is to help restore insulin sensitivity. So if someone was coming in and they were insulin resistant, potentially adding in some intermittent fasting with more of a keto style diet could in the short term really help them. But if someone was walking in and they were either pregnant, they were adrenally exhausted, this would be a really bad diet to give them. So what's the reason that you're using this diet? And again, you know, like you look at it and go, just because your friend did it doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. And just because it worked for you for two months doesn't mean it's going to work for you for two years. When mm -hmm. I wrote The Virgin Diet, it wasn't to be on The Virgin Diet forever. And I'll see people and they go, I've been on it for 10 years. And I go, but that's not what it is. The Virgin Diet was written so that you figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't. Because when you are under any, any kind of stress, when you're eating more gluten, especially gluten has glyphosate in it in the United States, when you're getting higher fructose levels, when you're eating, you know, taking pain medications, there's a lot of things that can make your gut more permeable than it should be, your small intestine more permeable than it should be. If you do that, and so, I mean, who isn't stressed, right? So if your gut's yeah. more permeable 
and you're eating the same foods all the time, and there's some classic ones that seem to be the most highly uh, likely to cause this kind of food intolerance or sensitivity, gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts are the ones that are most likely culprits in this. If you're eating those foods every once in a while, it wouldn't be an issue. You're, they would come through, they'd pass through that, that leaky gut permeable lining where they shouldn't go into the next layer, which is your uh, immune system. Your immune system would fire up launch a little attack with an antibody, grab a hold of that protein, that antigen, and make an immune complex, and the macrophages in your body would get rid of it. But when you're having, you know, that dairy every day, or you're having those eggs every day, which I think eggs, pastured eggs, are one of the best foods ever, but 70% of the people I saw in food sensitivity testing were reacting to them. Probably not pastured eggs. They were probably eating those factory eggs, and that was more of the problem. But, you know, if that's the case, you pull those foods out for three weeks, you'd start to do things that help heal that gut. <laughs> Likely if you've got a really aggravated, disrupted gut microbiome, this can take some time, but at least you remove the things that are firing it up. You start mm. to soothe it with things like bone broth and collagen and uh, deep green leafies and fish. And then you go back and you, you go, how do I feel when I eat dairy? How do I feel when I eat eggs? How do I feel when I eat gluten? And, you know, it's like for me, if I eat gluten, my fingers swell, you know? So it's like, you'll start to notice, oh, if I eat that, I get gas and bloating. Oh, if I eat that, I get joint pain. Oh, if I eat that, I got I get skin issues. And it allows you to connect the dots between what you're eating and how you feel and what you weigh. Because some, for some people, it's just, oh, my, the scale went up three pounds overnight when I eat that. And then you can take a little more time, three to six months, heal the gut and see if that food does work for you again. I contend that gluten, I'm not mm. a fan of gluten in the United States, totally different when you go out to to uh, Italy and France. But in the United States, when you have gluten, you have glyphosate, which it's like people say, is it the gluten or the glyphosate? And I'm like, it's both. Gluten, though, we know triggers the release of something called zonulin in your small intestine to create that intestinal permeability. So for I don't I don't feel like that's a great food. Um, it's just whether you have to be absolutely 100% vigilant or if it's snuck in here or there, you're just going to go, oh, my fingers are swollen today. You know, shoot, I got glutened. So that's really what that was, was a process for you to become your own detective to figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't. And ideally, since your gut can become more permeable at any time, you would do that once a year to check in and see how you're feeling and see which foods should be in your diet and which foods shouldn't be in your diet. That's the process, right? The cool thing when you pull those foods out is it's really hard to eat ultra processed foods when you don't eat dairy, gluten, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts, sugar, and artificial sweeteners. Tough to, right. tough to get into trouble. You know, I guess you could go eat some um, potato chips or something, but for the most part, it kicks out a lot of that stuff that, you know, when you really look at what's going on, it's interesting. We're eating... Yeah a really high plant-based diet here in the United States. I think it's like 70 or 80% now. It's gone up from 30, 40 years ago, as has obesity now being over 42%. Um, and you look at what ultra-processed food does. It decreases your satiety, causes you to overeat. And it also is a very low thermic effect. You're not getting that, you know, that... 20 to 30% thermic effect of food like you do with protein. So now you've got something that's not really um, lighting a fire under your metabolism and is causing you to overeat, which is a double whammy. Yeah, I love that you bring in 
so much of this self-evaluation and how it takes time. And you are certainly an expert because you you describe these things in detail of what is happening inside the body and why. And I love that you have, you know, the certain food groups that maybe you should start avoiding first and seeing what happens. And that slow process of having some patience with yourself to be able to be your own detective, like you said, and to, to start seeing what it is that your body is doing. I think that it, it, that's one of the biggest things to really tune into and observe what is happening. And you mentioned joint pain. If we're, we're experiencing body swelling, headaches, et cetera, et cetera, all of those things are really telltale on oftentimes what we have consumed. Right. And, you know, again, like, I think pastured eggs, as opposed to factory eggs, can be an amazing food. Um, Grass-fed dairy that's fermented could be amazing, but it may not work for you right now. So right. it's really because if something's creating low-grade inflammation, this is not going to be great. And low-grade inflammation can block muscle protein synthesis. So now you have trouble making, you know, making muscle. We already, as we age, become more anabolically resistant or we have yeah. trouble doing that. So you don't want to compound the problem. And probably the inflammation is part of the reason for that too. So, and same with when I wrote the sugar impact diet, it was really, it wasn't saying don't eat sugar. It was knowing which sugars to choose, which to lose, understanding that all carbohydrates, you know, fiber really is different. We need to pull it out because it has a very little caloric effect, but all carbohydrates turn to sugar. It's just whether you're mainlining it, you know, eating, drinking juice, or you're making it slowly from the foods you eat. And also, is it predominantly fructose or is it one of the other sugars? Because fructose is metabolized very differently. And then just finding out where do I feel best? Do I feel best on the lower end of the spectrum? Do I feel best? You know, can I handle more of it? I know for me personally, I feel best when I have lots of non-starchy vegetables, I have, you know, one or two servings of berries a day. And then that's pretty much where I live. I might every once in a while mm -hmm. have a little bit of black beans or, you know, lentils or a little bit of, you know, lentil pasta, but I pretty much live on a lot of, a lot of vegetables and a little bit of fruit and then, you know, animal protein and healthy fats. Yeah. But that's works for me. And again, that's the important thing to point out. Right. Someone else might do better with like adding in some wild rice. My husband does better when he has some wild rice, some, some potatoes, that type of stuff too. So he'll have some servings yeah. of that each day. I just feel better without it. Yeah, that is a, a very important thing to highlight is that, yes, we are all different. And I think too, maybe environmentally, you know, there's different things that we are in contact with that might have an effect on what we're intaking in our, in our diet and how, you know, all of those things on a deeper scientific aspect of what's happening inside our bodies really come to play. And so JJ, you have all this great knowledge. What are some of the misconceptions that people really don't understand? And they, the, the biggest health misconceptions that people get confused over, would you say? Oh gosh, there's, there's so many and so many, are because of our industry. So uh, my apologies, and probably I've spread some of them over the years too, as we've we've gotten better understanding of it. Although I will say early on, when I was in graduate school, we were taught that you should never have people lift weights till they lost the, the weight. And I remember back then as I was being taught this by overweight professors, I went, that is mm -hmm. dumb. 
Like that is just dumb. I am not going along with that. Now we were also taught back then, everything back then was eat a very low fat diet, 10% calories from fat, be mm. vegetarian or vegan and eat a high carb diet because, you know, fat makes you fat. And I think everyone now knows that's really ridiculous and not true. What makes you fat is the biggest obesogenic formula, um, of course, in, in the presence of too many calories is when you eat a low protein, 10 to 12% protein and the rest high fat, high carb. It's the high fat, high carb, one, two punch of raising insulin and then having fat that's really easy to store. That's problematic. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there. And the challenge I see with it is, you know, a lot of times there's truth in both. Like mm -hmm. there is a calorie model for weight loss. that says it's calories in calories out. There's an hormonal model for weight loss that says it's not about the calories. It's about the insulin. And I fall into the middle of this where calories count too much healthy foods unhealthy. If you have a calorie surplus, now, if you're one of the healthier people, you might fidget more and, and you won't gain as much weight, but you'll still gain weight. Hmm. And depending on how much you're working out will depend on what is fat and what is muscle, you know, however, where those calories come from, because a calorie in absolute is a calorie. It's a unit of energy doesn't, but where it comes from, changes the changes the metabolic effect. Again, you know, if you're eating more protein, if you're eating the right amount of carbs to refuel your muscle stores of glycogen, if you're eating um, anti-inflammatory fats, it's going to be a different effect than if you eat a high carb diet with damaged fats, right? And a calorie excess. So I fall in the calories count, but where they come from counts more camp. And I see that argument back and forth on the internet a lot. I really will rail back against you have to lose the weight before you lift weights. I think the single most important thing we can start to do is focus on resistance training because we improve muscle and muscle's ability to become insulin sensitive, which is mission critical for your body to be able to use stored fat for fuel. So um, besides you just feel better, you feel stronger, et cetera. So I'd say that's one. Um, the one I'm really frustrated on right now is the whole like vegetables or demons, because I think it's really damaging um, to everyone to think that vegetables could be bad for you. And what's interesting- I don't even know where you're hearing that because well, that's a person- lectins, that the, the lectin story of le lectins damaging your gut. Yes, but- the I, I have heard, if, if yeah. I could just interrupt because that's, that's so fascinating to me, but what I have heard is I've, so maybe it falls in line with that, but the, the, the only uh, meat diet where that's literally oh, everything that's right. But that, yeah. And then, and so I guess it would come into play, whereas the vegetables are, are not good for you. Well, that's so part of their, there is the idea that vegetables, that, that there's a lot of bad vegetables out there because of the lectins they are damaging their, your gut. They're making you leptin resistant. This comes down to food preparation and how we prepare things because that can get rid of a lot of these lectins and phytates. Then there's the oxalate story, which can be problematic for someone with kidney stones. And like if you were eating gobs of spinach every day would be a problem, which is why we teach people 
rotate what you're eating, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, right. don't do almond milk every single day with a, an almond spinach smoothie. Rotate out the almond milk with the coconut milk, with the, you know, flax milk. Rotate out your your deep green leafies and, you know, eat seasonal, local, organic. So there's there's some of these things too, and they might be problematic for a small percentage of the population. And that's why, again, just like mm. with the virgin diet, connect the dots, see if that's an issue for you. But right. it's not like this broad spread, no one should ever have spinach again, right? Because of, of the oxalates. The um, carnivore diet, you know, that can be healing short term. But then what are we doing for our gut microbiome? Where are we getting those polyphenols that we need for our gut microbiome? Where are we getting the fiber, the pre and the prebiotic fibers that can help us feed the good bacteria in the gut? Um, what I'm seeing that I think is even more worrisome in the carnivore space is just eating meat and then doing like honey and juice because I'm like, now you're just going to drive up your triglycerides. So I, I'm a big animal protein proponent. However, I think that what's important is you are what you eat eight. And it's where I think the vegans like start to go, the plant-based go after the, the omnivores because they say, oh, look at all the terrible things that happen with meat. It's like, well, which kind of meat is it? Because a factory mm -hmm. cow is very different than a grass-fed, grass-finished cow. And the research is pretty darn clear on grass-fed, grass-finished. So, um, you know, but I, I look at it and go, let's everyone get along. Everyone, and when they come to mind here, I always say the vegans and the carnivores sit and eat together and everyone gets along. Like we all get along. So everyone get along. There's some, there's some value to everyone and what we're yeah. learning here because you pull out and go, okay, where could a carnivore diet in the short term be healthy? Where could a, a, a um, yeah. straight, straight, whole foods plant-based, not, I mean, you can, we're eating a more plant-based diet than ever. We are eating more junk food, ultra processed food. Like if you look at a lot of the plant-based things, they're junk food, right? Yeah. So we got to be careful with what we're talking about. I used to joke about the French fry vegans, you know, cause. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that you bring in the, the short-term aspects of how they can bring in health benefits, you know, and, but but short term. And so then you're entering into this variety aspect of diet. And so I want to shift gears a little bit because you also have a specialty in when we talk about sleep and stress in life on the body and how that has an effect on us. Would you like to share some information on that? Sure. And like, I am by no means a sleep expert. When I think of sleep experts, I would do, I would say, go find the work of Dr. Matthew Walker go find the work of Dr. Michael Bruce, go find the work of Sean Stevenson, my buddy uh, who wrote Sleep Smarter. So here's some people who are really experts in sleep. The way that I really started to dig into sleep and stress was I wrote a course that I taught for a couple of years to healthcare practitioners called Overcoming Weight Loss Resistance. When I was on Dr. Phil for years, he had a chapter in his book about weight loss resistance. It was just related to insulin. So for him, weight loss resistance was insulin resistance. But I, I thought this is such an interesting thing. What if, because I'd been working with clients at that point for 20 years and what I'd seen was, and, and the first thing you always have to do is use a tracking app and really know that you are on, like you really know what you're eating because we underestimate what we eat anywhere from 25 to, to 40%, right? Mm -hmm. So you really need to know what you're doing there. But then I thought if you are eating correctly, 
and you're exercising because there was an interesting study out of WashU in St. Louis that showed that if you were eating right and exercising, you were still at risk for obesity if you were not sleeping well. Mm. And so if you, you know, I go with your body as, as a chemistry lab, not a straight bank account and hormones. And, and it's clear because you start to look at women going through menopause where they change nothing, their metabolism hasn't dropped yet. And yet all of a sudden they're gaining fat. But if you change nothing, you're doing the same exercise, you're doing the same diet, right? Your metabolism in theory has not changed because that, that they've done the research to show it really doesn't start to really lower till 60. Then what happened? Well, it was hormones. So I started to go through it and go, what are all the things that could cause someone to, you know, either not be able to lose weight or gain weight outside of, you know, they're not in a calorie deficit or they're not moving enough. And of course, insulin resistance, huge. And all of these things kind of con connect each other, it becomes a matrix. But you look at stress and what happens with chronic stress. And so you have chronic stress that will, and I'm not talking acute, because acute, you actually will start to lose weight, but chronic stress. Right. Your gut becomes more permeable. So now you're starting to get food intolerances, which make you crave the very foods that are hurting you, which can make you overeat, but also creates an inflammatory response, which can lead to insulin resistance. Yeah. Chronic stress, you have higher cortisol. You've got more cortisol receptors around your belly, causes you to lay down more visceral adipose tissue. Chronic stress depletes serotonin and dopamine, makes you crave more. And I always say not salmon, not craving salmon and Brussels sprouts, you're craving sugar, interrupts your sleep which we know one poor night of sleep, you're more insulin resistant. If that becomes chronic, you got a problem. Lowers progesterone, can interact thyroid, interrupt thyroid function, block that conversion from inactive to active thyroid, right? So can lower testosterone in both women and men, can break down muscle, can raise fasting blood sugar. Like, so you just start to go, okay, that, that was stress. Now we go into sleep. And yeah. again, sleep, one poor night of sleep, you're hungrier you're more insulin resistant, you don't have the energy that you need to be able to move more fidget throughout the day do you know, a lot of our energy expenditure throughout the day, we think it's the exercise we did for 30 minutes, but it's all the rest of the stuff all day long. Yeah. You know, it's why we need to not sit all day long. So that's one poor night of sleep. And then you look at, okay, so insulin resistance, is, insulin and leptin resistance are impacted by all of those things. And then you go into hormones and estrogen and testosterone and progesterone. Progesterone is lowered by stress and poor sleep. So is testosterone. Then they say you get estrogen dominant, but you start to see problems with women with estrogen as the estrogen starts to drop where we now can't burn fat. We can't build muscle. If your thyroid's not working well, you can't build muscle. You also can't balance your hormones well. <laughs> you know? And then you have yeah. your gut microbiome, which if you have a an imbalance of bacteria and you have more, there's a firmicutes bacteroides balance. And if it's out of balance, you actually can store more calories from the food you eat as fat. So there's that problem there. And then you have toxic, a toxic burden, which when the NHAN study was looking at obesity and its relative risk for diabetes, they found that it wasn't the body fat, it was the stores of toxins in the body fat that were causing the diabetes. Because yeah. our body stores toxins in our fat, then our body cools down a little bit and lowers thyroid function to hold onto that fat. And then you read some silly thing about some celebrity doing a juice cleanse, and you go, that's what I'll do. And you go grab the juice cleanse, except the juice cleanse is good for doing the first part of detoxification, which is activating those toxins, getting them out and awake. And this is why like 
doing a fat loss diet when you don't have your detox pathways working well is very problematic because if you just do the phase one of detox where those toxins are freed up, but you do not have the essential amino acids, you don't have the amino acids on board to, it's not essential actually, the amino acids, things like glutathione, um, that can grab a hold of those amino, of those toxins and form these complexes that your body then will excrete out in phase three via sweat, via feces, via urine, you will just become worse. So those are all the things. And then beyond that, it's like, okay, well, what about temperature control? Because if we are, if our, we don't have to control our temperature, if we just keep our thermostat at 70, our body doesn't have to work as hard. What about all of these, you know, time-saving devices, everything from the TV channel changer, right? To the, Mm -hmm. to the Roomba instead of us having to go and vacuum the floor. So all of this stuff, cigarette smoking, gosh, I mean, you know, I, I, not a fan of cigarette smoking, but if you're going to take someone off of cigarettes, you've got to know how to do it in a way that they're not going to gain weight because they'll freak out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So all these things, come into play with weight. That's why it's it's just a way more complicated thing than calories. This is a science. And like you talk about starting with calories in, calories out, right? You gotta start with you can't, you know, you gotta still clear for the most the big things first. Like, okay, because if you really are out of touch with how much you're really eating, you know, and that's that's the first place to start. Then you start digging into the rest of this. Ah, JJ, you are such a plethora of information. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your guidance here with us today on the Wellness Driven Life Show. And I want to make sure everybody knows where to find out uh, more about you and all of the things that you do, because it is many. So I have displayed on the screen. And for those of you who have listening ears today with us, make sure to check out the information, the links in the description below www.jjvirgin.com. Very simple. You can access her information there and see all of the obviously continued wisdom and our body is the chemistry lab. So I love that. Thank you again, JJ, for being on the show and sharing yourself with us. What is the next big thing for you? Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm actually more excited about what's going on in our field than I ever have been. Um, I'm working on my next big project, which is all around aging powerfully, because as we age, there's so much buzz right now about, about how as we age, starting around actually age 30, we start to lose muscle. But when you look at the statistics of losing up to 1% of muscle a year, of course, this all starts to double at age 60, doesn't have to, and this is the important thing, um, you lose muscle, but you lose two to 4% of your strength and six to 8% of your power. So when you really look at this, what's happening as we age is we're losing a specific type of muscle, fast twitch muscle fibers that are involved in, you know, lifting heavy things, moving fast. So you see people start to slow their gait speed. They start to, you know, not be able to, uh, to, uh, um, open the jar. And so that's where I'm really working next is was what do we need to do to make sure that we're aging powerfully? I love the thing that Dr. Peter Atia talks about, where he talks about the centenarian decathlon and training now so that you can do those things that you want to do in your 80s, in your 90s, and when you're 100. And so that's my that's my whole next focus and my final book. <laughs> I was saying I my love last it. book. <laughs> well, and and it's such an important 
topic. And, and, you know, as we move through our lives and live longer, we want to do that in the best way possible because otherwise it's not living. Right. So thank you again so much for being on the show and thank you so much for all of you tuning in and we wouldn't have the show without you. So I appreciate your support again, JJ, it has been an honor and a pleasure to have you here on the wellness driven life show. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Goodbye for now.